morning, Connect family. How are we doing out there? Wow, that was weak. Good morning, Connect. Come on, we got more than that. We got more than that. Come on. Man, you guys look good. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look good. Turn to your second choice and tell them that. I've heard, that, I've heard that's always a, refle a reflection of leadership. Looking good. You guys don't get that? Never mind. Anyway. <laughs> uh, my name is Pastor Derek. If you don't know who I am, and I want to welcome you to Connect. If you're here for the first time today, uh, we are in what we call a series where we kind of teach certain things uh, systemically, kind of uh, sequentially over time. This series is called At the Movies, and it's basically uh, where God and film meet. We basically take certain uh, scriptural truths and we merge them and leverage some of Hollywood's greatest hits and classics on film. So you can get your worship guides out and you can follow along. We're going to get kind of right into it today. I want to tell you up front, I have kind of a purpose to an agenda to this service. I don't like to hide that. Uh, it's a twofold purpose and basically the first of uh, the purposes is this. I, I want to help people, and I've been praying for you, the people that would come today, believe it or not, before you got here, people prayed for you. I was one of them. But one of the prayers that I had is that those that might feel far away from God would be able to come back to God or maybe meet God for the first time, be a part of a vibrant relationship with God himself through Jesus Christ, the Son. That's my prayer for you today. Maybe something would happen through the message to make that possible or through the service, or through all the people that you've met. Secondly, my second purpose is really is to introduce you to somebody that is far away from you, that you don't know, and maybe be able to add them to your family so they could be a part of, ultimately, the family of God. The first purpose is to add you to the family of God if you're not, or connect you, reconnect you to the family of God. The second purpose is maybe somebody who's far away from you, through you, they come to be a part of the family of God. Can I have an amen out there? Though we're created by God, we all may believe that. We all have to choose to be a part of his family. We all have to make that choice for ourselves as an individual. And, and some people don't have what you have. Some people don't have a family. And sometimes if we would choose to make them a part of our family, they could be a part of a bigger picture. Today's movie is a classic. Some of you have seen it. Some of you haven't. It's entitled Schindler's List. It is without a doubt one of the most difficult movies to watch and observe, and I promise you're going to be okay this morning. But inside this movie is a powerful story, a redemptive story, a story of salvation, actually. Uh, the remarks in, in particular are going to be surrounded um, or, or revolve around a particular character, a true, a true hero, and his name is Oskar Schindler. He was a German Nazi, believe it or not. And he was known by the Jews ultimately and called the unforgettable savior. That was, his, that was kind of the, the end of the movie or really the end of his life. That was what he was named. The unforgettable savior to the Jews. God's chosen people. How many of you actually have seen the movie? Raise your hand if you've seen the movie. Okay. For those of you who have not, let me try to orientate you. Those of you who have, let me try to catch you up. Because it's based on a true story. Oskar Schindler was a uh, German industrialist. He was a spy. He was a member of the Nazi party, and he is credited for saving the lives of some 1,200 Jews uh, during the horrific Holocaust. Uh, he did this by employing them in a company that he created, an enamelware ammunitions factory that he created 
ultimately to make money, but, ult- but later on uh, to do something far more important than that. This all took place in occupied, the then-occupied Poland. The movie accurately depicts um, a wealthy opportunist, a war profiteer who is motivated just to, to just get ahead, to make millions of dollars at the expense or at the benefit of the war. And he came to a certain place in time, which we'll identify later in the message, uh, where he changed. He became an extraordinary, uh, dedicated, uh, tenacious um, philanthropist, desiring to just save as many people as he possibly can in the Jewish community. In 1944, in July, Germany was losing the war, and the Nazis Nazis began closing down concentration camps and deporting the remaining prisoners westward with the goal of really exterminating them all. Many were being moved to concentration camps, and Schindler convinced a certain commandant that we will reference in a little while, kind of the villain of the movie, to allow him to move his factory away from all of this in order to save them, in order to spare his workers from certain death in places like gas chambers and the like. In October of 1944, Schindler was bribing Nazi officials and, and, and leaders in the Nazi uh, military to prevent the execution of his then workers until the end of World War II in Europe in May of 1945. By that particular time, at the end of all of this, Oskar Schindler had lost his entire fortune. He was penniless. And he lost it because he had bribed so many people to save lives, and he had purchased so many things on the black market to give supplies to the people that he was there to take care of. This is an incredible story of strategic generosity we've talked about in the weeks gone by. It's an incredible story of, of, a, of a true philanthropist. But more than that, it is an incredible message of the overwhelming importance of one life. That's what comes through. It is pervasive throughout the movie. The clips in the message and the content within it focus some parts on, uh, they're they're, they're horrible, they're egregious and and vivid. And it's, it's a horrible time in human history during the Holocaust. And for those of you who are concerned, please don't because we won't, we won't highlight those. But this is kind of the, the kind of movie, much like The Passion of Christ, if you've never seen that, where you should watch this almost in the privacy of your own home with a certain sobriety to it because it's real. It happened. And you get to see the deplorable state of humanity at this time in human history. And we can look at that and say that was then, but really it's now too. But contrasted against what is so evil and deplorable about it is uh, amidst that, as, as is so common, is not many, but some heroes tend to emerge in the middle of things like this. Are you with me? And there's an amazing hero that emerges, one man. And it shows how one man can make a difference. And it affected me greatly. There are really two key characters within this movie. In the opening clip we're going to show you in a second, it shows one particular person who is this cruel, conflicted, heartless, really dark-hearted commandant named Amon. Amon can't seem to understand why his counterpart, Oscar Schindler, would want to help people. Why would he want to be so selfless? Why would he, what is the scam? What's the real nature of why he's trying to do what he is trying to do. And this opening clip, there's this, there's this question that is asked by him that I really think we all have to ask ourselves. Check this clip out as we continue.
Today is history. Today will be remembered. Years from now, the young will ask with wonder about this day. Today is history, and you are part of it. For six centuries, there has been a Jewish cracker. By this evening, those six centuries are a rumor. They never happened. Today is history. You want these people? These people, my people, I want my people. Who are you, Moses? It's good business. Yeah, it's good business in your opinion. I know them, I'm familiar with them. I don't I'm have to train them. It's good for you, I'll compensate you. Yeah, that's right, it's good for the army. Look, all you have to do is tell me what it's worth to you. What's a person worth to you? No, 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 no. What's one worth to you? That's really the question as we open this message today, is what is a soul worth? What is a person worth? I hope it kind of sinks in just a little bit as it did with me. There's a scripture and certain parables in the book of Matthew chapter 13. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, there are multiple parables. Um, and all of them start out with um, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. But there's this one parable in one verse. In fact, I think there's only one occasion other than this where there's a parable in just one verse. And in this parable is a powerful principle that applies to the worth of a soul. In verse 44, Matthew 13, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Everybody say treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it. He goes and sells all he has and he buys that field. But there is a traditional meaning that I was taught over many, many decades, and many pastors and preachers have taught this particular parable a certain way. And I want to introduce really what I think is the, the correct way. But first, this is how most people teach this. They teach basically this, that, that the kingdom of heaven is the treasure. The kingdom of heaven is the treasure. It may sound that way at first. In other words, we find it, and then we sell all that we have to gain it. And here's the thing that I want you to see a little differently. You can't find the kingdom. You can't hide the kingdom. And you cannot buy the kingdom. If the treasure is the kingdom, you can't find God. God found you. God has been pursuing you since the moment you came into this world. He's been pursuing you. As early as the Genesis account we can see in Scripture where Man wasn't pursuing God. God was looking for man. God came into the garden and said, Adam, Adam, where are you? Adam didn't say, God, where are you? God was pursuing Adam. In the New Testament, we can see another example, and there are many throughout Scripture, but in Romans 5, 8, it says, God demonstrated his love toward us. He came from heaven to earth to show us the way. While we were yet sinners, God is finding us. He's pursuing us. The Bible tells us that all over the place. If the treasure is the kingdom, you can't hide the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is too big. You can try to hide it in your own self, but God's purposes, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 19.21, they will prevail. The kingdom of God will be made known. It is going to happen. You cannot hide the light of God. It's impossible. 
And if the treasure is the kingdom, I can tell you this, you cannot buy it because it is not for sale. The kingdom of God is through grace, through faith that you and I are saved, that we come to the knowledge of God is, is given to us. You cannot buy it. And if you could buy it, I promise you, you could not afford it because it is priceless. So the real meaning is this. As I read this verse again, I want you to think about this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Remember that word field? Which a man, focus on that word man, found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Let me tell you what I believe. I believe the field is the world and all the people in it. The field is the world and the man is Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus became a man and dwelt among us. Why? To identify with us. Why? To save us and to rescue us. And the treasure is you. And me. The treasure is you and me. God gave up everything to get you because you are so valuable to him. And just like Oscar who gave up everything to save these Jews, that much more, far beyond, God gave up everything. He divested himself of all his divine privileges. And in Philippians chapter 2, he came and humbled himself as a man. Why? Because you are his treasure. You are his treasure. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7, God paid a high price for you. Or you were bought with the price, it says, so that you are no longer enslaved to the world. What we see in this movie is exactly what we see in human history, Jesus to us. 1 Timothy 3, 5 through 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that mediator is Jesus. And it says he is the ransom for all, the testimony given at a proper time. So you and I need to understand something as we go forward in our walk with God and in today's service that people are the kingdom. And Jesus did something to get you. This isn't about you paying a price. This was about him paying a price for you. You and I are not property. You and I are not God's possession. You and I are priceless. We are invaluable to him. You and I are God's treasure. And that's how he sees you. And when you see how he sees you, it affects how you see everyone else. God, brought, God bought the entire field. He paid for, in essence, the price for the whole world to be saved. Not just 1,200 Jews, but all humanity. God has already reconciled the world, in essence, back to himself. But you and I as individuals must choose to accept that the payment has been made. And not try to pay for it ourselves. How valuable are you to God? How do you determine the value of something? I believe you determine the value of something by what someone is willing to pay for it. You determine the value of something by what someone is willing to pay for it. I heard a story of a pastor who was trying to train and, and equip his staff. And he had been concerned about the culture of the ministry that he was leading because the, the, the leaders that he had in his church, were, 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 were the, the rumblings were that they were showing favoritism towards people of affluence and influence. This is not uncommon, even talked about in the scriptures. And, and, and they were taking care a little bit better of certain people, but not taking care of maybe uh, other people. And so he was disturbed. And he called a prayer meeting and invited certain guests to this particular prayer meeting. And before the prayer meeting, he called his staff behind closed doors and he said, Listen, gentlemen, before we go to pray, I want you to know there's a particular person that will be visiting us today. And I want you to meet her. She's very unassuming. 
You wouldn't even know what I'm getting ready to tell you. You would never suspect what I'm getting ready to share with you. But when the meeting is over, I'm going to share with you something that you won't believe. I want to share with you how much she's worth. Because when I tell you how much she's worth, guys, it's going to blow your mind. And so these guys were like, okay, pastor, no problem. And they went out into the prayer meeting. As the prayer meeting ends, all of the staff were going around and they're shaking her hand. And they're making sure to offer their services to her. Many of them are giving their phone number, even their business card. Some stayed a little while and talked to her to pray for her. But when it was all said and done and everybody went home, all the staff came in to meet with the pastor. And, 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 and one of them, like, almost salivating. Pastor, 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 we're all dying to know. Can you please tell us how much is she worth? And he looked them all in the eye and he said, she is worth the blood of Jesus. That's what she's worth. She's priceless. And you guys need to get that. And somehow you've lost that. Everybody in our church is worth the blood of Jesus. Everybody that's out in the community is worth the precious blood of Jesus. It was shed for all humanity. Entire world was saved by the blood of Jesus. Every child in the Dominican Republic, on the streets of Boston and Worcester, are worth the blood of Jesus. That's how you determine the worth of something, by the price that someone was willing to pay. Today, just like during the time of this movie... There's a war, though, between good and evil in humanity for the souls of mankind. Until Jesus returns, the church of Jesus Christ is the hands and feet of Jesus on the earth. We're the hope of the world. We are called, just so you know, to unite together as one to be able to accomplish the great thing. The Bible says through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known. We are, heal, we are here to heal it when, it when the world is sick. We are healed to help it when it hurts. We are, healed to, we are here to forgive it when it fails and, and falls apart. We're the, we're, the, we're the hands and feet of Jesus. Can I have an amen? amen? But during World War II, Adolf Hitler attempted to do something. He attempted to dominate the world and even eliminate a particular race through genocide. And there were many heartless and egregious, uh, that, means like, that means outstandingly blatant evil acts murderous, like beyond comparison. But always amidst those kind of times, uh, there is some, there are some, not all, but there are some that emerge out of those times. Sometimes they do things that you wouldn't expect. Sometimes they do things that, that you wouldn't understand and you're trying to figure out why, but because something has happened to them. Something took place, some shift, some, I like to say, defining moment where they decide with some sort of righteous indignation to do something about what they have observed and what they see amidst sometimes overwhelming odds, sometimes against great personal peril. And that's exactly what happened in Oscar Schindler's life. According to historical records, he had a defining moment on May March 13, 1943, while he was observing what is known as the, the liquidation of the ghetto. Many Jews had been put uh, in ghettos and they were being pulled out of these, these poor, impoverished homes and just murdered on the streets. Some had been taken off to concentration camps. Others that were uh, subjectively determined could not work were sent to extermination camps and gas chambers. But there were, the remaining were in this ghetto in the, and they were pulled into the streets by the Nazi army uh, and just shot before the eyes of everyone. 
Schindler was aware of this planned action because of his connections and contacts. And so he had told all his workers to not go back to the ghetto at the end of the day, but to spend the night in the factory in order to save their lives. But he went there that day, and he witnessed the murders. And from that point forward, history says that something happened in his mind and something happened in his heart. He decided at that point that he was called to save as many Jews as he possibly could. It's in moments like these that something happens, something for some people. I don't know why with some and others it does not, but he, he didn't ignore it. He acted upon it with everything he could. And, and you see within this movie two people and two truths. Oscar Schindler and Amon Goeth are kind of the hero and the villain in this movie. Ironically, though, they're both criminals. They're two really criminals technically and statistically. They're both really evil men, but they had very different views on life. One, as this next scene is going to show you, this next clip is going to show you, looked at humanity as a, and a people with value and priceless to be saved. And one looked at them as products, possessions that could be exterminated subjectively in a moment's notice. And it's really similar in the Gospels. We see Jesus who came to pay the price of our sins for humanity to save us and to ransom us go to the cross with two criminals. But two criminals with totally different views. One criminal on his right saw Jesus and hurled insults at him and said, if you are the savior of the world, get yourself down from there. While the other criminal had a very different view and said, we are judged justly for what we've done. You need to hold your tongue. And he turned to his savior and said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I will remember you. Many in this life, like the two criminals, choose. One will confess Christ and one will curse Christ. We have that choice in this life today to determine our eternal security. But I can tell you this, you and I really can't make a difference until a difference has been made in us through Jesus Christ. And maybe, maybe we don't love others the way we should or see the world the way we should because we don't realize what God has done for us. Maybe we don't realize the omnipotence of God. I don't think sometimes we see God as large and in charge or as big as he actually is. Omnipotent means all-powerful. In all his power, he didn't need us. He chose to need us. In all of his power, he didn't have to reconcile us back to himself. He chose to buy us back with his son, Jesus. Sometimes I don't think or understand, you know, why it is that I separate from that. But I think if we did see what he did right, it would affect our relationship with him. And it would definitely affect our relationship towards others. But I believe the result should be grace and mercy toward the world if we had a right definition of the word power. Everybody say power. In this next clip, our hero and our villain have a conversation about this term, power. One sees power through mercy to be exercised, and one sees power through justice and judgment to be exercised. Check this next clip out. It's powerful. A wonderful party. Thank you. Why do you drink that motor oil? Hmm? I send you good stuff all the time. Your liver's going to explode like a hand grenade. You know, I look at you. I watch you. 
You're not a drunk. Oh, that's... That's real control. Control is power. That's power. Is that why they fear us? We have the power to kill, that's why they fear us. They fear us because we have the power to kill arbitrarily. A man commits a crime, he should know better. We haven't killed and we feel pretty good about it. Or we kill him ourselves and we feel even better. That's not power, though. That's justice. It's different than power. Power is when we have every justification to kill. And we don't. You think that's power? That's what the Emperor said. A man stole something, he's brought in before the Emperor, he throws himself down on the ground, he begs for mercy. He knows he's going to die. And the Emperor pardons him. This worthless man, he lets him go. I think you are drunk. That's power, Amon. That is power. Amon, the good. I pardon you. <laughs> <laughs> interesting scene. What would you do if you had ultimate power? What would you do if you could just exercise your will fully justified? Would you be Ammon the good or Ammon the bad? Would you pardon? Would you punish? You know, There's a story in Matthew chapter 18 that really talks about what Oscar said about an emperor where one came with a great debt and the king in this particular, or you could say the emperor in Matthew chapter 18, basically recognized the debts that were out there. And he said, there, there must be accounts, they have to be settled. There has to be payment for the debts, just like there has to be payment for sin. And this one particular person owed a great debt, and, and the king, the emperor, called this person to, to the court, and, 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 and he couldn't pay the debt. And the king basically said, then you're going to have to sell all that you have, including your wife and children. And the man was so overcome with grief, he got down on his knees and he, and he begged for mercy. Please give me more time. Please give me more time. I'll pay the debt. And, and, and the king took pity on him and showed mercy. And he pardoned him. He canceled an incredible debt. But what's so sad and what is yet so common in humanity today is we're not conscious of the fact that we have been, that a great debt has been canceled, one that we could never pay, one that we could never, no matter how long or how much we could do. And this man leaves the king's presence and he goes out and he finds someone with the power that he has and he uses his power to punish and he tells this one person who owes him far less, a far smaller debt. And he says, you owe me, you need to pay me. And ironically, while that is taking place, it is being observed by someone else just like our behavior is being observed in this life as well. 
And that person reports back to the king. And the king calls him to his court and says, you are a wicked servant. Did I not cancel your debt? And yet you're holding someone to justice for the debts that they have you. You've taken your power and instead of pardoning, you've decided to punish you wicked servant. You'll be punished and tortured. You have to pay your debt. Off to jail with you until every debt is paid. And the Bible tells us that this is how our Heavenly Father will treat each of us unless we do the same that he did for us to others. This, this, this inspired story in Matthew 18 motivates me and you to not take the little power that we have, the means that we have, the resources that we have, the influence and affluence we have, and use it for our own selfish gain. But no, be like Oscar and realize that the power we have is not for us, but it's for others. See, we are born selfish. I believe that with all my heart. That's why I believe we must be born again. Because when you are born again, you become selfless. That is a sign or indicator or the fruits of someone who has been born again. And it's interesting what scripture tells us about one man. What one man did to us uh, millennia ago through the first Adam, one man. Yet later, what one man did for us through Jesus Christ... The Bible says in Romans 5, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of right standing with God reign in this life because of one man, Jesus Christ? But it's because of one man's trespasses that we are separated from God. It's through one man that there's been consequence, but it's because of Jesus that we can have all of that pardoned and as a result, we've been given the power in this life to make a difference for others. My question to you today is, as we kind of take a pause, is have you accepted what that one man Jesus did for you? Before you can make a difference in the world, he has to make a difference in you. And I'd like you to just actually close your eyes for a second. I want to pray for some people in this room right in the middle of this message. Let me ask you a question. Please, if you could close your eyes, everyone, just to honor to the person to your right or to your left. This is a special moment for some people. Again, my purpose is to help people who might feel far from God, maybe never connected to God in the first place. But if God right now is speaking to you, maybe you don't realize this, but one day you're going to have to stand before an emperor, a king, a mighty God, an omnipotent creator, and you're going to have to decide... And you're going to have to decide before that whether you've allowed him to cancel your debt or you're going to try to pay for your debt on that day. And I can assure you, you don't want to be there on that day deciding to try to pay for your debts. You have the opportunity by grace through faith to let him pay for that debt today. The Bible says now is the day of salvation. Jesus came from heaven to earth to pay for your sins, a ransom for all humanity. But you must choose him. And I'm passionate about this because he was so passionate about what he did for you that he was nailed to a tree and he was bruised and he was punished and he was chastised so that you could be in right standing with God, heal and whole and seen as perfect. And if that's you today and you want to invite Jesus into your life, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you down front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to ask you to boldly raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to allow Jesus I believe that he canceled my debt, and I want to invite, through, through prayer, I want to invite him into my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand good and high? God bless you. God bless you. Yes, yes, yes. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's okay. God bless you. Yes, yes, over there. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Awesome. You can put your hands down. That's fantastic. 
If you're listening online, you respond as well. Church, would you pray this prayer with me and join them as they pray this prayer? Would you say this from your heart? Just say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. And you came into this world to pay my debts. And I believe you did that for me. Cancel my debt, all of my sin. Wash me and cleanse me. Make me a new person in Christ Jesus so that when you look at me on that day, you will see me white as snow, a part of the family of God. You want me to be a part of your family, and I receive that in Jesus' name. But Father, I pray for every person that you've adopted them right now. The spirit of adoption comes upon them. They are all now a part of the family of God. And, and the Bible says that as their names are being written because of that profession of faith in the Lamb's Book of Life, the angels rejoice and we rejoice as well in this room. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap for that. Come on. There's a lot of people who made that decision. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, listen, just a little business thing in the middle because we just want to help you. We believe your spiritual development is a journey. You made a decision in a second, but your life has changed over time. Just tell somebody about that by filling out one of these and then take it down to Guest Central. We have a gift for you to help you go forward in your faith. Amen? So if we're called to make a difference, first of all, by letting God make a difference in our life, I think what happens to us as Christians and what happens to me is sometimes I look around and I see all the need. This really, in some cases, we're just numb to it sometimes. It's no different uh, now than what it was like back then. There's all these needs, but what, are we, what needs are we called to meet? How do we know? How do we differentiate? How do I take my part, my prayers, my portion, my percentage, and make a difference? I'll tell you how. You join it with other people's part, portion, prayers, percentage. That's how you make a difference. You do it with other Oscars. You do it with other unforgettable saviors to become the rescue for the world. In this next clip, there's a scene, and, and it's a black and white scene. The whole movie's black and white, actually, but, but it, 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 George Lucas did this on purpose to be able to kind of illustrate and demonstrate the horrible conditions of humanity, the lifelessness of what was happening in this particular time. But it's amazing, in this one scene, out of this egregious ghetto liquidation where people are being murdered on the streets, a small, innocent child in a red coat emerges. Actually, this particular young girl actually is alive today. In fact, one of our, one of our dream teamers was just telling me she's met this little girl. Uh, her memoirs are written in 2002 to the world. But it's so cool, and I hope that you can see there's a message behind this, I think, for you and I to help us identify what is our part to play. I want you to see this next scene with this girl in a red coat. Check this out.
scene for me when I was watching it it just kind of illustrates how in the middle of everything I see if I will open up my heart if I will ask God that's what we tell you all the time at connect don't don't just do what I say do what God says respond to him open up your heart then what I think happens is that you'll see all that's happening out there but suddenly a, a little girl in a red coat will pop out to you Suddenly, a particular person, a particular situation, a particular need pops out. And, and when that opportunity pops up, you, you step up. You, you, you hear and you obey. You allow God to capture your heart. When is the last time you've allowed God to capture your heart? Or have you, have you allowed the enemy to literally just make you callous and shut down to everything because you can't seem to help everyone? Do something for someone, and in the process, you could save a generation, perhaps, in the process. Why should you take this seriously? Because Jesus took you seriously. The Bible says in Luke 15, 4, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and you lost one of them. Look at how Jesus looks at us. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one lost sheep until he finds it? Right now, you may not realize this, and I don't mean this to guilt you. I mean this to actually just make you be informed. There are children in the Dominican Republic that are literally praying right now that you would respond to this message you would respond to the prayers of just one it's actually happening around the world all the time but sometimes we just have to get on the right frequency and tune in perhaps we're here today and nothing pricks your heart maybe you just feel numb to the needs around you and if that's you i'm praying for you that you would be able to experience the significance and the importance of helping someone because a small commitment actually can make an enormous difference. You don't have to do what Oscar did to be able to make a difference in the world. Perhaps you are doing something already to make a difference, and I want you to be released. This is not for you. And on behalf of all those that you're helping, thank you, and God bless you. But what I prayed for was that you'd have a defining moment like Oscar Schindler did, where something happened in your mind, something pricked in your heart, Sometimes I think we're pricked in our heart when we pray for something, we give to something, or we go where they are. I really think that's what it takes. I hope you've prayed about it. I hope you're praying even now. I hope you'll take a next step and maybe do more. But I hope what happens is when you have a defining moment, something happens as a Christ follower when we see things right in the value of a life, you realize that everything you have is a tool for his purposes. Suddenly you realize that the car that you have is not just to transport you to and from to work, but it's actually to help people get to church and get to small group and connect with other Christ followers. Suddenly you realize uh, that the job that you have, it's not just so you can make a living, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's not just a vocation, it is a ministry location. It is a place where you're, it's a front for God to do something through you. Sometimes you come to a place where you realize that your kitchen table 
It's not for you to just stuff your face, but it's a place for you to, to give God grace and, and pray to Him and invite other people to the table and, and break bread physically, but also break bread spiritually in group and fellowship with other people. Sometimes when there's a defining moment in your life and you see things right, you realize that your finances at your disposal are not to be aimlessly disposed of, as we saw in the beginning of this film, but strategically sown in the lives of others to help others and perhaps change their life on earth, also in heaven. This next particular clip, I hope that it will affect you, but it's a final scene. And, and after all that Oscar had did, he realizes that he could have done so much more. He realizes that what God has put in his hand was for his purposes. That truly, uh, for you and I, it's the same. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. He came to a place where he realized he, he'd done so little and he could have done so much more. He could have gone so far for so many with just a little bit more. And we tend to minimize what we have. I hope you know that you can save one, you can save the world. Check this out. Jews, Oscar Schindler was the only man who stood between death and life. 
You might stand between death and life for someone. You might be that unforgettable savior to someone. I thought about that scene. I thought about how much I've wasted. Time, resources, and, and, and how so little can go so far to make such an extraordinary difference. And what's so cool about this is that in this movie, he used a flawed, imperfect person, maybe one of the most unlikeliest of all role models, but he started earning millions as a war profiteer, and he ended by spending every penny. He ended his life, he really ended his whole life penniless, but he learned the most important thing, and that was that life was priceless. He was never the same. In fact, he started with a people that he despised, and he ended, he ended calling the workers his children, his family. He added family to his life. That's what, that's what I think God wants to do in your life. Maybe not through this effort. I understand that. But maybe God does want to do something like that so that you can change the world. It's not just about me and mine. Maybe it's about more than that. One life became priceless, and he, he, he earned the everlasting gratitude of the Jewish people. And today, he's known as a, his name is known as a word for courage in a brutal world, a hero who saved hundreds and hundreds of Jews from Hitler's gas chambers. I think it's amazing what one man can do. My final question is, what are you doing today to save as many people as you can? What are you doing today to save as many people as you can?